Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today are Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm, Capital Alpha Partners, who will help us take a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his mind. And also joining us today is our producer, Chris Cervello, a retired United States Navy commander and public affairs officer. Gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Vago. Great to be here. Uh, and I should also point out that Chris is uh, also one of the co-founders of the ProVision Advisors uh, PR uh, firm. Uh, guys, uh, thanks again uh, very much for joining us. Before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall. And General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage uh, of strategy. One of the reasons I wanted both of you on is uh, obviously the Omicron variant uh, of COVID with uh, 30 mutations of the spike protein has everybody's uh, attention. There was a sense that there was going to be another uh, COVID wave. Uh, and unfortunately, it looks like it's uh, arriving, although uh, there is still scant information. It's going to take another couple of weeks before we know more. Uh, but given um, how there was an underestimation of how bad beta was going to be, and perhaps a slower uh, than necessary response in Delta. Obviously, concerns are running high that this these mutations could make uh, it uh, make make the Omicron variant more resistant to antibodies and and certainly to vaccinations. Um, Byron, let me start off with you. Right, what and and your weekly note was terrific, and we're going to cover that in a minute. That. Uh, you know, talked about the continuing resolution, inflationary pressures. You wrote a great um, segment on authoritarianism, Ukraine, and and then, of course, the week ahead. Uh, let's start with the Omicron variant. What do we need to bear in mind as we enter this new phase? Uh, because past this prologue in a lot of ways, right? Um, there are still only 60% of the population is vaccinated. Uh, a lot of concerns there. The Delta variant has taken a, a, a grim toll. I think uh, a lot of Americans are surprised that still a thousand people a day uh, are, are, you know, a, a, a thousand people a day are dying. Uh, walk, walk us through what we should bear in mind as we enter this new phase well, I think, and what it potentially means. Yeah, three points, Fago. I think the first is, you know, to your point. So, how quickly can a new can vaccines be adjusted for this variant? and how effective are the existing uh, vaccines against, <clears throat> against this variant. And I think, you know, I'm gonna defer to the authorities on that, those two points, but it, it sounds like at least the way the market reacted today, that <clears throat> they weren't as freaked out on this as, as it appeared to be on Friday. And in any event, last Friday was kind of a short trading day. It's a weird week because so many people were out for the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States. I don't know how much you should really read into the market's reaction to what happened on Friday. Uh, although today, you know, there's, there wasn't a follow through. There was, there was a bit of a sigh of relief. I think that the two points echoing, you know, what I see that I think are worth making. First is just the question about broader instability. You, you saw riots in Europe on new uh, shutdown restrictions. And, and I, we haven't really seen that in the United States, but it just raises the broader question about kind of the erosion of, <clears throat> of public order, um, if, if this indeed proves to be another problem that mandates more, more aggressive uh, action to try and contain it. 
<clears throat> and then I think the other point that's interesting is, um, you know, the, the point that struck me was the number of people on this one flight from South Africa that uh, were tested and found positive for this variant that kind of triggered the whole, the whole new focus on it to start with. And, and that's just a disparity between vaccination rates in the developed world and in the developing world. And I, I think that's gonna be something, you know, are we gonna try and look at more equitable distribution of vaccines in the future? You know, does, does this again point to really some pretty profound problems in, in countries that are already, uh, they've already had a, a much rougher time than Europe or the United States has with this. Um, Chris, uh, you know, where do you expect this to go from a messaging standpoint, right? You live now uh, in Florida. Republican governors have been saying, you know, have been pointing out that, you know, President Biden is failing. He is not containing uh, the COVID pandemic, right? This is as we were dealing with the new Omicron variant. Uh, and those who've been on TV have been reminded by reporters, well, I mean, with all due respect, governor or senator, you know, your states have been fighting vaccine mandates and mask mandates, uh, ultimately under under the guise of somehow liberty, although throughout, uh, you know, our modern history, the state has required vaccinations for your kids to go back to school. Uh, for for example, how how does this next phase of this uh, play out? Um, and how does it potentially impact um, the administration, even if it is trying to do the right thing to try to contain it? I think from a, a messaging and from a um, strategy standpoint, I mean, the, unfortunately, this is all hung around the neck of the president and around this White House. And, you know, whether that's fair or unfair, one, I think that the the president believes that it's his responsibility, um, you know, just given the type of leader that he is and the type of politician he is. So I, I don't expect he will try to shirk that responsibility, either rhetorically or, or you know, from an executive power standpoint. Um, and then it, it's sad that his political adversaries are going to go out of their way to not only raise money on the idea that he's not doing everything that he could be doing, but that actually his actions and the actions of his administration are making things worse. So the, I think that will be the competing narrative uh, throughout the winter as we see the numbers naturally go up um, as, uh, you know, as things begin to uh, go back to normal. Um, you know, if you believe the, the experts, they say that as we do more normal things, you will start to see more, uh, you will start to see numbers go up. Um, you, you know, Sunday was the, the busiest uh, flying day uh, since the pandemic uh, started, you know, almost two years ago. So, I mean, that interaction, interaction, as well as all the family interaction over the Thanksgiving Giving holiday will have uh, you know an inevitable effect, and so the Biden administration is expected to put out their plan for combating COVID over the winter months uh, later this week. So I think we'll get a taste of what that messaging and what that leadership will will look like. But I'm not surprised by. Asa Hutchison. I'm not surprised by the governor here in Florida and and other uh, you know political enemies, if you will, of uh, of the White House and and how they're trying to frame this. Um, I I think it'll be uh, up up to the White House to to deal with it the best way they can, uh, take credit where they can, but you know demonstrate the leadership that um, that you know ultimately got him elected. Uh, and and for uh, for the audience, uh, the message from the administration and the message from the president earlier uh, today was 
um, you know, get get your booster shots if you if you don't have it. Uh, continue to be prudent. I think was the underlying message. And if you haven't been vaccinated, go out and get vaccinated. Um, Byron, do you think that this changes uh, the the vector? Right. I mean, for those, uh, for the, we we all interact with a fairly large uh, swath of of people. Uh, although I'm more in Washington, which puts me in a <laughs> sort of in a different cone, right? Whereas you guys are perhaps in more normal parts of the country. Byron, you you live up in uh, up in Connecticut. Do you think that the the onset of another variant is is going to motivate sort of greater fo folks to sort of come together one more time for one last big push, or is this going to be like screw this? I'm going to live my life, and you know, I'm I'm not going to get. Shut I was going to screw again. this. I'm going to live my life until I actually get the get the uh, get the disease. Um, you know, I think I think the biggest question is um, the economic, the potential economic damage. To this, you know, if it, if it really is something, you, you got a whiff of this when the market reacted last Friday, where the airlines really got hammered. I mean, you know, I suppose there are scenarios that we could talk about in two or three weeks' time. Um, you know, will you need additional federal bailouts <clears throat> if this starts impacting? business, um, particularly particularly around the holiday season. I mean, you know, if this thing flares up and it really starts impacting retail sales, the reopening of restaurants, holiday travel, um, I think there are going to be a lot of people hurting out there. And uh, so, so that I think is something, you know, that I'd keep an eye on. Again, it's not a direct impact on defense. Um, it, it has an indirect impact on it. Obviously, <clears throat> you know, we've already uh, you know, kind of raise the, the specter of federal deficits and debt and the debt ceiling is going to be looming. So how this all gets folded into this is, is going to be another part of this um, debate that uh, I think we just kind of watch, have to watch how the parameters of this play out. Uh, Chris, is this something that derails Build Back Better, especially, you know, as Byron said, I mean, right, and, and each of these uh, instances, there have been you know, trillion dollar package after trillion dollar package. We passed uh, another uh, more than trillion dollar package earlier this year when uh, in the wake of President Biden's election uh, in order to tide uh, folks over because we were in the grips of, of the Delta variant. Do you think that this, and, and Byron sort of gets your sense on this as well, is this something that actually could end up derailing the president's broader agenda? Even I'm, more than political discord within his own party and from a bipartisan standpoint is already jeopardizing it. Well, I think what it demonstrates is, is that um, the only votes uh, or, or the likely votes that they will be able to get will be within the Democratic Party. Um, as Republicans, you know, seek to double down on, on all of this, I think it makes the idea of any bipartisan, uh, you know, working together or, or, or you know, a combined effort across the aisle uh, more and more unlikely um, as we get closer and closer to the November midterm elections. So, yeah, I think it puts everything at risk. I mean, more importantly, probably it puts Americans at risk, uh, which is the most uh, con concerning. Regardless of what this new variant uh, does or doesn't do uh, to the numbers, um, I mean, it, it, is, uh, it, it demonstrates that we're not out of this, um, as you guys talked about yesterday on the, the business podcast. So, um, you know, the, the lack of leadership uh, from the Republicans, um, the lack of willingness to put politics aside in the, uh, you know, for the betterment of the country and the American people is just more and more evident uh, as we go further into this crisis.
Um, I, I want to ask one more question of you, uh, Chris, and then Byron, let you uh, take a bite at both of these. In the very beginning of this pandemic, you and I were talking about the message that our inability to deal with this actually sends adversaries and allies around the world. Do you think how we respond to this is, is going to be the coda or the framing or the last word on that, right? That if the nation can't come together against the virus, how are they going to come together against China? The conversations that we had almost two years ago um, are only further reinforced by the the bad behavior by those in in Congress. Um, you know, th this is certainly the greatest national crisis that that I've seen in my my lifetime, and probably in yours as well, right? I mean, and so the fact that that didn't galvanize political support around. Uh, preventing uh, lives from being lost and from protecting uh, the American way of life um, is not only troubling, but I, I think it's uh, it's fodder for those that wish to do us harm. And it, it sends a clear message to those in Russia and China that um, there's real benefit in continuing to try to uh, sow the seeds of disinformation and to try to divide us politically so that we're unable to not only deal with this pandemic, but God forbid, you know, future crises, uh, you know, arise on top of the pandemic or, or you know, be, uh, become a reality here in the near future, kind of the playbook for how they can keep us from responding and from thriving, uh, you know, against them and, and, and on the global stage. Byron? Yeah, I mean, to put it in more practical terms, I think it really gets down to, you know, when could Congress pass FY22 appropriations? You know, there's news tonight that um, the the NDAA vote the Senate was going to hopefully take up is, is going to be delayed as well, too. So I think just the more, you know, the, the these um, that, that I think also has a, a very profound bearing on uh, you know, what our defense posture can be and how people are going to perceive that posture. If we get into an extended, you know, full year CR, I mean, I really, uh, I don't think that's good at all, both for defense and more broadly for, for global security. So, um, you know, this is all interlinked in, in a weird way. Uh, and you've uh, brought it uh, beautifully, uh, queued up uh, the uh, continuing resolution uh, discussion. You've been laying odds uh, every week that we talk about uh, where you think the CR is uh, going to end. Uh, walk us through uh, the CR and how you think this is all going to play out. Well, there doesn't seem to be any talk this week about a, a government shutdown. You know, the current CR ends December 3rd. The, the talk has been something in the January, <clears throat> mid to late January. I personally don't think it'll matter all that much. The, again, this is more kind of a market perspective and the way people might look at defense contractors. Um, I really do worry if we start, you know, we kind of get into early January and we're still stuck in a rut on all these issues and people are talking about something, you know, into March, April, May. And then you start raising the, the really ugly specter of a full year CR without anomalies for the Department of Defense. And I know um, Senator Tester had raised this issue, um, I guess, in the last 24, 48 hours, um, you know, about really how damaging that would be. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm not surprised. Uh, that we haven't gotten this all wrapped up by December 3rd. Um, it, it's just something we have to walk. I, I still think the most probable outcome is something in the in the early spring. Um, we'll, we'll get FY22 appropriations done through an omnibus 
Um, and there'll probably be some incremental money in there for defense, uh, possibly the full $25 billion that the authorizers are looking for. But again, um, see how that plays too. Um, I, you, you mentioned in inflation uh, a little mm -hmm. bit at the top. I just want to take you back to that. I mean, one of the reasons why uh, inflation is worse uh, than we thought it was going to be, and I think some of the broader economic news, while generally very positive, uh, was affected by a Delta variant that stretched a lot longer, I think, and, and was worse uh, than uh, had been uh, anticipated, right? I mean, in part because of the pushback on masks, in part because of the pushback on vaccinations. What's, what's your estimate and call on, on where we're going on in, inflation? Well, it's hard to say, Vogel. I mean, I look at, um, you know, the, the CPI data that came in on, on November 10th. There was a lot of concern about that, but it's still, <clears throat> you know, some of the analyses that I've read, um, a lot of that is being driven by pandemic sensitive sectors. Um, and, and if you really kind of peel those back, some of the underlying trends aren't as bad as it's being made out to be. The, the you know, oil, for example, the, that price has started to roll over. Um, I still think, you know, as far as the impact on contractors, um, look, if you got cost plus contracts, you're, you're relatively insulated from that, but, um, you know, you're still going to be passing those higher costs on if inflationary pressures through materials or labor rates really do emerge, um, you pass that on the department, but then the department has got a budget that is, you know, <clears throat> looking like it'll probably come in below the rate of inflation. So I think you just kind of have to also see where this all plays out. I'm still more intrigued and frankly, more worried about uh, the, the, the interest rate picture. And so far, you know, the 10 year with all this is still around one and a 1.5, 1.6%. Um, you know, if we really have a blowout uh, in, in interest rates, that's really where you start to see the crowding out um, in the federal budget for higher interest outlays. And I think that's, that's when, you know, federal spending, all forms of federal spending, including defense, are going to get, get broadsided here. But it, wow. there's not a sign of that right now. And it, it's, it's intriguing that, that um, you know, the, the, the bond market is kind of signaling something different than, you know, a lot of the, um, the fretting over, over much higher interest rates. Byron, one of the great things about your notes is uh, you you bring up topics that uh, folks may have uh, thought of or may not have thought of. Talk to us about authoritarianism and and defense spending and and why you wrote what you did in your note because I thought it was fascinating. Um, look, it, it just keyed off a report that came up from the International Institute for Democracy and Electrical Assistance, and they released their Global State of Democracy 2021. Um, and, you know, one of the takeaways was there was a lot more backsliding <clears throat> by democracies and, and obviously with that, a tilt towards authoritarianism. I don't know if that's good <clears throat> or bad for defense. You know, there's an old saying, uh, and I think it's proven by data, that democracies typically don't go to war against one another. It's usually authoritarians against authoritarians or authoritarians against democracies. Um, so on one hand, you could argue that, gee, the world potentially can be a more, uh, you know, a less safe place. Um, there are gonna be additional security demands on the US and its allies. On the other hand, you know, if some of that backsliding occurs, frankly, in the United States and, and in some of our allied countries, you know, how does that affect their military capability and, and their ability to uh, step up on a global stage and, and promote or help protect uh, democratic institutions? So. Um, it, it's just an interesting 
trend to watch. Um, obviously, you know, there, there could be individual market impacts. You've seen some of that in the concerns about U.S. arms sales to the Middle East. Um, you know, it's kind of intriguing. There, a lot of the countries are actually singled out in this report for the trend towards authoritarianism tended to be smaller countries where there, there really wasn't much of a market for defense, um, at least European or U.S. defense. But um, it's just something to think about, I think, as, as people start framing, uh, you know, what to expect in 2022 and beyond. Um, let me uh, take you to uh, Ukraine. Uh, what are your concerns and how does that affect uh, the entire ball of wax? Well, again, it's just reading what other people <laughs> are writing and, and talking about, uh, you know, the, the fairly unusual uh, Russian troop moves. There, there have been some very good uh, analyses that I've read about, you know, the, the practical limitations that Russia would face from a logistical standpoint, but also one analysis about, um, you know, this gets back to, to geography that uh, it, it would be relatively easy to separate Eastern Ukraine from Western Ukraine. Uh, and that particular analysis uh, kind of explained why. Um, and also some, some historic, uh, some history about why Russia wouldn't want to really <clears throat> think about throwing the swallow um, the Western Ukraine. Um, and I could, I could, you know, point you in the direction of that particular report. But the, um, <clears throat> so it's really just kind of the, the, the tone, you know, the, the warnings that have been made public, uh, both from uh, Secretary of State Blinken, uh, I believe NATO leadership has talked about this. Uh, I think the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense may have done a briefing today about their concerns. So there's just a heightened level of, of um, discussion about a, a potential Russian move against Ukraine. And maybe, you know, it, it's, it's been a bit on my mind also. Um, I would commend to your listeners a, um, it's actually an Israeli series that's running on, on one of the, um, on HBO Max, um, but it's basically the kind of the the Israeli experience in the 1973 war. It's, it's a series called Valley of Tears, and it's really just a reminder about how shocking these things are when they happen, uh, particularly when you know there's a central character, a couple of characters, one in particular in, in Valley of the Tears, who's you know, hey, this stuff is going on, and I guess he's been the boy who cried wolf, but apparently this time he's right and. Uh, you know, lo and behold, uh, th this particular series is set, set up in the Golan Heights, but uh, it's just a reminder how, um, you know, it may not seem like something's going to happen and then we're all horribly shocked when it does and hopefully prepared when it does. Uh, as a bit of a, right, I mean, we're, I think, both students of uh, Israeli history, right? The, there had been uh, repeated, uh, right? I mean, it was a whole series of uh, mobilization, demobilization, mobilization, demobilization. And I think people uh, didn't appreciate the massive impact that would have on the Israeli economy each time it happened. And so uh, after a couple of those series, folks were like, well, I guess the Arabs aren't going to do anything. And then, of course, lo and behold, on the holiest day in Judaism on Yom Kippur, all of a sudden, all three armies attacked Israel. And, you know, that to that point, um, you know, again, I don't have any special insight here. I just kind of listening to the signals and, you know, to me, there's just been a stepped up narrative around, uh, the, the threat of Russia taking action against Ukraine and, and that should catch everybody's attention, quite frankly. 
Um, let us uh, do a little bit of a lightning round about what to expect in the coming week. Go ahead, uh, Byron. You're not going to be attending the Reagan Forum. Uh, we will be, uh, but you're going to be covering it closely. Walk us through the week and what's on your radar screen. And then, Cervello, I want to bring you in uh, because ITSEC, uh, the world's uh, leading uh, training and simulation show, is also going on. Start us off, Byron. Well, I think there's a confirmation hearing. The Senate Armed Services hearing uh, will be holding a hearing on the uh, the nomination of Admiral Grady uh, for uh, Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's on December 2nd. Um, on the subject of Ukraine, uh, Atlanta Council is all doing an event on December 2nd titled, Will Russia Invade Ukraine Again? Um, there are a couple of smaller events held by Mitchell Institute on precision guided weapons and uh, whether we have a right mix for great power conflict. And then Jamestown Foundation is doing something on hypersonic weapons in China and strategic deterrence. Um, <clears throat> and there, there are a couple of other, um, couple of other events really that, that aren't directly related to defense, but have, a, you know, they're of tangential interest. Um, AEI is doing something on uh, Congress and the antitrust policy, um, you know, state of the labor market and inflationary uh, pressure is something the Peterson Institute is going to look at. Um, there are a couple of hearings, uh, including one that the House Science, Space and Technology Committee is holding once again on December 2nd on ensuring American leadership in microelectronics. So all these, all these other events kind of get to the foundation on which uh, the defense industry rests. Cervello, uh, give us your ITSEC uh, look ahead. I'm excited to get down to ITSEC uh, tomorrow. Um, so the inter-service training and simulation conference uh, goes all week. Today was, uh, you know, everybody got set up on the floor. They had um, some of the members of the uh, Congressional uh, Training and Simulation Caucus um, were, were there and, and, and spoke. Um, tomorrow, the Chief of Naval Operations and the Commandant of the Marine Corps speak. It's a great opportunity to hear where the services want to go with um, with training, education, and simulation, uh, and then how industry can use the latest uh, technology uh, to be able to help them get to where they want to go. Um, newer this year, they started talking about it last year, but newer this year is the the right. Um, discussion about cyber, uh, you, you know, so that if you're going to do all this training, if you're going to collect all this data, you've got to protect it as you and your guests have talked about many times uh, on the cyber report. So there's a, a cyber pavilion that um, will have some uh, um, folks demonstrating how they could keep it uh, safe, uh, as well as uh, a number of the principal cyber advisors uh, are going to come down and uh, they, they talk on a panel on Wednesday. So I'm interested in, uh, in hearing that. So it should be a great week. And then look forward to joining you at Reagan uh, on Friday and Saturday. Uh, ab absolutely. And uh, we, we look forward to you giving us an update uh, from the show uh, floor. Chris, thanks very much. Byron, uh, thank you very much. Uh, and I just want to point out, Byron, in, in your note, right? I mean, the head of uh, Ukraine's uh, defense intelligence, Brigadier General Kirillo uh, Budanov, uh, has claimed that if the Russians are going to attack, they're going to do it in the January, February um, time frame. And you also noted in your note, uh, Takuma uh, Melber's Pearl Harbor, and you astutely pointed out, right? In November 1941, it was astonishing how many Americans didn't really think we were as close to war as we were. Yeah, again, I mean, you know, I've been doing this long enough. I can cite, you know, plenty of times when when uh, when there are similar situations, you know, it, it just you have to listen for the signals at times. And right now, 
maybe this too shall pass and nothing will happen, uh, in part because hopefully uh, Russia is deterred from doing something rash in Ukraine. But, um, but there will always be surprises. Uh, again, right. I mean, if you went back a couple of weeks ago, folks were getting concerned about whether or not uh, China was going to be the aggressor against uh, against uh, Taiwan, although I think Beijing is very clever on how to turn on, right, shift the conversation to cooperation. We should be collaborating more. Uh, and that tends to take the pressure off because, right, democracies have a tendency of dialing down. Uh, well, we're making progress. Let's, let's not be uh, as confrontational, although some would argue uh, right. I mean, it, it's necessary for the United States to uh, continue uh, continue standing up and to deliver a consistent message. Guys, thanks very, very much. Really appreciate you joining us. Looking forward to having you both back on again. And I want to wish uh, the audience a very, very happy uh, Hanukkah this, the second uh, night of the Festival of Lights. Thanks so much. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report and check us out on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship, and we'll see you again tomorrow.